This is Guys Read Romance, where I, romance author Margot Radcliffe, politely strong-arm my male friends into reading and chatting about romance novels with me for an uncomfortably long period of time. Okay, today we're doing another interstitial where we're going to discuss last week's episode about the book His Convenient Husband, read by Mark Devereaux and Todd Franklin. We're lucky enough to have a new friend on the podcast, Rachel Kagan, as our guest today. Rachel is one of my oldest friends and a romance superfan. In our past lives, we may have created a list of people we didn't like or who had crossed us that ended up being almost 10 pages long, had an elementary school teacher who literally wore a mushroom cap as a wig, and is the owner of the closet we hid in to read the naughty parts of Daniel Steele's Star when we were in middle school. So suffice it to say that Rachel, romance, and I go way back and I'm super excited to check in and see where she currently is on her romance journey. So thank you, Rachel, for being on the podcast today. And I'm super excited to talk about romance with you. I am so delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Do you remember our third grade teacher? You must. You must. I do, because I was preparing some teacher's day things for third grade teachers, and that got me thinking about our third grade teacher (laughs) and uh, how fortunately times have really changed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that's why I don't know how to do math is is because of third grade. (laughs) All right. So, Rachel, what is your overall experience with romance? Tell me a little bit about what you've read, how you started reading, where you are now, etc. So, I'm pretty sure I started reading romance because of you. I think that you <laughs> gave me or lent me my first novels and almost certainly introduced me to the genre. And I think I remember as I started reading romance, thinking of it as sort of a natural extension of the fairy tales that we hear as children, only these are sort of more adult, but sort of how would a modern day princess translate into the real world as we imagined it to be in our uninformed youth. And I remember (laughs) thinking that it was all just so lovely. You know, everything always has a happy ending and it just gets tied up so neatly and all of the conflict are really quite minor, as angsty as they may seem in the moment. Yeah. And and I remember thinking that even as I started to watch the more long form sitcoms and drumcoms that became so popular in the late 90s, early aughts, your friends, your sexes in the cities and your whatnots, they really seemed like kind of televised long form romance novels to me. You know, it was sort of the same thing that it was this idea of you're happily ever after and relationships kind of taking center stage. So I think it was really, you know, sort of around then that I stopped reading romance in the traditional sense and started watching it, I guess. And then, you know, life happened and I stopped doing any of it. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So but you didn't feel like during the pandemic, you didn't have an impulse to like pick up some romance at all to read um i was quite engaged with homeschooling my children (laughs) Um, uh, i think i often think now in sort of the coda of the pandemic if i knew then what i knew now and i had all that time back and i was not sort of in a state of pure terror what would i have done with that kind of quarantine time i think i may have 
picked up different things, you know, wouldn't that have been a great time to learn the saxophone? Always wanted to do that. Um, but didn't really get around to doing a whole lot in retrospect. But I, I so I, I did not, mm-hmm. but God willing, it never happens again. But should it, I'll certainly. <laughs> do you remember Danielle Steele's star though? It was a gray book because it was the first romance that I had like inadvertently kind of found, I think. And so I remember taking it to like every slumber party that ever happened in high school. And we all kind of read it. And it was a real, I think a real shock and awakening for, for all of us. But because it was a not that book in particular. And I will say that, as you know, my memory is not great. Um, so, so many things and people that I really should remember with great clear. How many times have I shown you a photograph and been like, who is this person? I obviously knew them. I'm in a photograph with them. We did things together. I have no recollection of this person existing. So that doesn't necessarily mean anything about the significance of that work. It just means that all the Diet Coke I drank in the 90s really did a number. And I, I don't recall that particular book. I The main thing that I remember. I don't remember specific titles or storylines or anything, but I do remember the Harlequin, the ones with like the red stripe on the top that existed yeah. in like opious quantities. They were just everywhere. <laughs> so I remember sort of that like format, but I don't yes. remember Danielle Steele. Well, if you remember, it was during the 90210 years and Jenny Garth was in the TV movie of Star, the Danielle Steele star. And so oh. like that kind of sparked I was like oh let's see um and so I found that book so at the library I believe so anyway but yeah Harlequin Temptations that was a huge one for sure I had excuse me a lot of those (laughs) and Blaze and Desire those were all red I think and Presents maybe those were red I can't I'm just googling this Danielle Steele star real quick to see if it (laughs) jogs anything and the first thing that came up was a picture of Jenny Garth in 1993 yeah. um yeah i'll have to do this another time no it's just, it's not i'll at least read the wikipedia article too. oh my gosh it's on netflix is it on netflix mm-hmm. it says oh distributed God. by netflix adapted from oh wait no maybe it's i don't know it says it's distributed by netflix i'll do this another time because there it looks like there's a wikipedia article if it is on netflix i do think we should watch it um, 100 we should watch it but also did we talk about we certainly over the pandemic talked about the cutting edge yes. tv series with january jones right oh no? that I for, that i don't recall i mean I, I remember the cutting edge movie i think i still have it in my house on vhs well, it's a masterpiece yeah oh yeah yeah but anyway do we not have because like i feel like i talked about at length because it's the worst show I've ever seen and I watched it (laughs) in the pandemic and I was like this is insane that they've made this they've made still like 25 years later they're making an actual show it's like 10 episodes long about the cutting edge starring as I said Mad Men's January Jones and it was really it was really really awful but anyway so far I know you haven't listened to all the episodes but up to this point you've listened to some so what do you think about the podcast? Are you learning anything from these dudes? I am learning many things, Marga. <laughs> many things. One of the things that I am learning is that if I were... So I will couch this by saying that I have the perspective of knowing many of these people in real life. But many of the people, although I know them... 
the benefit of knowing many of these people in real life, or maybe I shouldn't say the benefit, but I have the, the confounding variable of knowing many of these people in real <laughs> life. But interestingly, many of these people I have not seen or spoken to in years. And some of these people I see and speak to still regularly now. And if you would have asked me before, who is going to feel one way or another way, or who is going to approach this one way or another way, I would have been wrong. I would have guessed incorrectly. I would not have been able to predict who felt what about, and that was part of the thing that I found so interesting. So I think it's interesting, even if you don't know these people or haven't read these books at all, it's so interesting to see the different ways that different men approach this genre and this style of literature. But You know, even in listening to Mark and Todd's podcast that we're, you know, commenting on today, I see Mark and Todd all the time. I see Mark and Todd once a week. And if you had said, how is this going to go? I I would, I would have been wrong. Um, Really? Yeah. Hmm. Who else were you surprised by? I was surprised by one Mr. Preston DeFrancis. I really thought that as someone who works in the entertainment industry, he would have approached, especially the piece that he read, because that one was made into a movie. And I haven't read the book, but I have seen the movie. Oh, um, wow. I, I saw it on a plane. And um, <laughs> the movie is stupid, but it's, it's <laughs> no more stupid than any other sort of medium to low budget direct to streaming. You know, it's, it's as one would expect, it's got Lucy Hale in it, you know, like it's like that, whatever. It's um, the dating game by Sally Thorne is the book and the movie that we're talking about right now. Correct. Yes. And so I saw that and I remember thinking, I mean, Preston was so <laughs> harsh in his critique and knowing kind of the genre in which he works and things Thank like that, you. Thank I you. would have thought that his tolerance for camp would have been a little bit higher. One would. <laughs> I really did. And so, I mean, I see where he's coming from. Like, sure, all opinions are valid, but that surprised me. It, it did. It surprised me. And mm-hmm. on the flip side, I was really surprised by how thoughtful Richard's podcast was. Not that, I mean, not to say that Richard isn't thoughtful, but I would have thought, again, speaking of knowing him many, many years ago, I kind of thought that he would take a more humorous, less thoughtful approach. And I was really kind of surprised and impressed by the care with which he handled the subject matter. So I was wrong on all counts. Well, and Richard read People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry. And both of those books are huge books. They've been on the bestseller list multiple months. And they're enormous. Both are being, another one of Emily Henry's books is being made into a movie. So like these are very good kind of exemplars of the genre that those two men read. And yes, one was a big meanie and then Richard was just (laughs) nice and thoughtful. Yes. (laughs) That's that's just so true. And if you, I know, I wouldn't have thought that either would be a big meanie, but I would have kind of thought that the one with experience and industry would have approached it with a little bit more generosity and maybe the one who sort of has more of an acerbic wit would have approached it in that way but I was wrong I was wrong I was wrong and delighted to be wrong it made for great listening 
I was not surprised that Preston was a kind of a butt face about it because he complained about it <laughs> ad infinitum <laughs> before only on the lead up to the podcast. It also took him like nine months to read the book. And so I had to hear him complain about it a lot. But I was not surprised, but I'm glad that that you were. And I was I people say to me, I they always talk about Richard's podcast. And that's the one I hear people talk about the most. So shout out to Richard. Hopefully, hopefully he'll do another one <laughs> so yeah and Richard if you're out there I'm gonna throw out an idea we can read the same book I haven't read one in decades but we could read the same book and we could do a point counterpoint male <laughs> perspective on this book and if I were to pick a reading partner bro I would pick you very nice job <laughs> that's a good idea well i'll put it out there um maybe and then maybe you can be responsible for nudging him along to read another book <laughs> i don't believe i have his contact information but should you provide it to me i would be more than happy to it's called facebook messenger <laughs> and everybody has it <laughs> and he stopped answering my messages so somebody else can try it <laughs> I love you, Richard. So anyway, um, that's fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Well, that's cool. And thank you, of course, for listening. Other than those two podcasts, do you have any thoughts about it overall? Like, are you, what do you think is the most interesting thing? I think that one of the most interesting things is that there is no single unifying thread that if you were to say that men in general just don't read this genre. And that's kind of how you've always approached it in the beginning and the ones that I've listened to is you've said men in general don't read this genre, you don't read this genre, what do you like to read? Tell me why. And most of them have said that the reason they don't read it is they just think it's written for women and it's silly and it doesn't contain any subject matter that would interest them and they're not interested in reading about relationships. And then when they actually read the book and they're talking about it on the flip side, that's really what comes out that would you be interested in reading about a relationship if you strip kind of all all of the other things away and the element of female fantasy and whatever. Are you interested in reading about the interpersonal dynamics of two people and sort of like the central relationship of their lives? And one interesting thing is that I think that largely the answer is no. You know, that I haven't, there there have been very few where I felt like at the end of the podcast, I think that this person of their own volition is going to seek out another book by that author or another book in the genre. And so is this just a truth that, you know, maybe we've suspected, but have fully confirmed and uncovered that we just don't care about this? Yeah. So I think that that's been one really interesting thing to see that although they approach it differently and certainly have different levels of thoughtfulness and appreciation and, um, you know, however, whatever you want to call it about their relationship with that particular work. And none of them that I listened to, did I really feel like, oh, if I shoot that guy a message, he's going to be reading another book from the from the genre right now, probably. Sure. I, the only one who I think has is Ryan Sears, which I don't know. I'm not sure that, that you know him, but um, he's re- read some of on his own. So there is one, but yes, you're right. They don't, Um, At the end of the day, dudes still have no interest in what women think about relationships. That's very clear. (laughs) That's become very clear. I love that for him. Um, I'm sorry, what was that? I'm glad there's one. I love that for him. But yeah, I mean, I think that that's just sort of true. 
Unfortunately, but I'll still make, I'll still continue to make them do this podcast regardless. Okay. So it's true. Even in, you know, in the podcast we're talking about now with Mark and Todd, they're a homosexual couple reading a book about a gay romance featuring two men. So really women don't factor into that equation at all, but it's the same sort of thing where you're talking about a relationship. And I felt like their attitudes were very similar. Like it, it didn't seem to me to be materially different than a heterosexual man reading a heterosexual romance. Their sort of impression at the end of it, very similar, even for people who really enjoy kind of the same thing in a televised version. Yes, right. Yes, that's a good point. And I have another gay couple and they, one of the, one half of that couple, Matt, he reads them, he reads romance on his, on his own. And they both like, of course, the Hallmark movies. (laughs) So that's just romance in another form. So there's two people that still still read romance but yeah but that's you're underscoring the the truth of it like guys regardless of what kind of if they're in a hetero or homosexual relationship relationships aren't a thing that they're seeking out in especially not in reading material apparently you know that they may enjoy it in other formats but they're just not reading books about it right probably because you know it's complicated anyway so (laughs) just a joke okay So how do you feel about hearing from both Mr. Devereaux and Mr. Todd Franklin together? Do you think compared to the other episodes, you got a better idea of the novel? Do you have any thoughts about it, basically? Yeah, for sure. I I thought that it was really interesting and I really enjoyed it, especially having not read the book. Having two people's perspectives on it made me feel like I understood the book that much better because I wasn't just hearing sort of one person's take on what happened. I would love to have heard your take on this book. (laughs) Well, from what they said, I don't know that I would have enjoyed it. Um, but, that was but, a lot. That's a yeah, lot. it kind of sounded like it. But I think it was interesting that knowing the two of them and their two different personalities, I feel like their takes on it really tracked because one of them is sort of, Todd is a very mm-hmm. practical kind of pragmatic person in real life. You know, Mm -hmm. he works with numbers. He loves tech. You know, he's just sort of a put it all together, nuts and bolts kind of guy. Whereas Mark is much more of a romantic, not necessarily in the traditional sense, but more in the things that he enjoys, you know, as far as the television shows and movies that he watches and the relative importance he places on relationships in his life and things like that. Those are all sort of very, very cornerstone to who he is as a person. And I thought that the way that they approached the book was such a lovely exposition of that because, you know, in hearing from Todd, it was very much, there was no point. There was no story. There was just a lot of getting busy. And okay, I guess if that's what you're looking for, mission accomplished. Whereas Mark was really looking for more of that development. He wanted to know the people. He wanted to feel what they were feeling. He wanted to understand the struggle. And that's where it kind of fell down for him was that he didn't feel like he, it wasn't soapy enough. You know, he really wanted to feel the minute by minute exposition that you would get in, you know, in his preferred genre. So yeah, I mean, I thought that it was very interesting to hear them both. I don't think I would have felt like I knew as much about the book without having both of them, but it did not make me want to read it. (laughs) It's a real short read. That's all I have to (laughs) Throwing it out there. It was what 180 pages. You could have that finished in like a car ride (laughs) too. Okay. So 
All right. That's an, that's a good point. And I think that that was a theme that Mark, who is clearly a soap opera buff. I mean, he's been, I think he's been watching days of our lives since like the womb basically. <laughs> and so, yeah, he, the, he had a big problem with there not being character development. And there wasn't really, I mean, there were stakes, but like, because one of the characters could be deported and then kind of put in jail in his own country. But like, what happened between the two men was not very dramatic in itself. So I think that's where Mark had wasn't as interested. And yes, Todd uh, had no use for this book at all (laughs) which was very clear (laughs) so okay moving on on a scale of one to ten how awkward is it to listen to the sex scene game um i don't know three i don't i don't really think that it's awkward um i think that perhaps if i were to put myself in the position of having to get i don't even then i don't think i would think it was that awkward. I don't know. It's very hard to get me to cringe these days, given what I do for work and, and parenting young children. I don't know. I think it's fine. All right. <laughs> and- <laughs> some people have, are like, this is terrible. And so, and I've some, in some, I just did a podcast with somebody I don't know. It was the first time I had ever met them and I had to do it. And I was like, I can't, this is, I feel like a pedophile. Like it just felt, (laughs) just felt wrong. (laughs) I'm glad to hear that nobody, that people don't think it's weird. Cause I think it's, I think men are weird. Anyway, all right. (laughs) Did anything about the podcast with Todd and Mark surprise you? That's a good question. I I guess the short answer would be no, but that's not really true because I kind of thought that Mark would take to it a bit more than he did. Kind of in talking about how, you know, perhaps my expectation was because we were reading a book about a relationship between two men and they were two men. There wasn't sort of that, like maybe a little bit of a disconnect that sometimes you have with a male reader reading about a male female romance really told a lot from the perspective of the woman. And they really, you know, they can't see themselves in it quite as much. I sort of expected that he would, I don't even know if enjoy it is the right, maybe he would take to it a little bit more. He was one of the ones that I was thinking like, Oh, would he then seek out another, if not a piece by this author, if he didn't enjoy that writing, another book in the same style and I didn't get the impression that he would so that surprised me a little bit because I thought that he would enjoy it a little more than he did but uh, maybe it was just the the book itself because he um, mentioned that he had read another one and he liked that one better right and he read red white and royal blue which is the other book that he read for the first podcast he had read that on his own not even for this podcast and I happened to put it on his book list and he was like I already read that so he was seeking out romance previous to the even this podcast and he did enjoy that one and I think it was because I mean that one was set in Washington DC <laughs> it was at a political family and there it was a prince the uh, prince of England so it was like it was as if somebody like made a book for Mr. Devereaux felt like so that clearly was one that he preferred were you surprised that Mark and Todd thought there was too much doing it in the podcast that was kind of a complaint and it like full disclosure it was a lot like it was like basically the whole book you know i don't know that i'm terribly surprised about that i think that if i had to guess i would say that reading graphic or explicit sexual content 
really appeals to a, a, a specific type of reader. You know, I think that um, there are people who are really going to feel like that adds to the story. And it's really, you know, it's something that makes them feel connected with the characters and it brings a lot of passion and excitement, you know, just people who enjoy it. And then I think there are people who are just sort of turned off by its very existence, you know, that just kind of like you said, like, does does it hear it just playing that that explicit scene game where you're trying to guess does that make you uncomfortable i think it probably makes a lot of people kind of uncomfortable you know i think that there's probably people who even in the privacy of their own reading just don't enjoy that and it just kind of icks them out and i could see where seeing it in printed form for those two would be more a negative than a positive especially if it was done to that degree where it was sort of eclipsing the story and you know that seemed to be the main point of that work i i guess i'm not terribly surprised um that that they weren't a fan right because like normally i would think that and it's one thing that has surprised me in this podcast is that sometimes the guys, they're not as interested as I would think they are in those sex scenes. And so I feel, I, and that's always like a talking point for me when I like try to pitch doing this to people. I'm like, listen, you're going to love it. There's sex in it. You're a dude and it's going to be great. Don't worry about it. It's not about love. It's just about people doing it. It's going to be great. So <laughs> you don't worry about it. But like every time and they're like, sure. And then but then they read it and they seem like it's just not the way like guys seem to be wired, like reading sex in print doesn't seem to have the same allure to guys as it does to women because like so many women read these books for the sex and I mean that's why 50 shades of gray exists right that's why it was so popular <laughs> because this is a format in which women like to read this stuff I've been no so I think um no so using my husband as a frame of reference I can tell you that words are not their favorite no in for any reason, communication styles are wildly disparate in my experience uh, between men and women. And especially in thinking about sort of romance in all of its aspects, you know, sort of physical, emotional, whatever. They're visual and they are tactile, but they are not sort of academic and they're certainly not verbal. And so I could see where, like, I, if you were to ask my husband to do this podcast, I think just the reading of the book, not even having to talk about it, which is the reading of the book would make him so uncomfortable and not even the graphic parts. I mean, I think just like the reading about feelings would make him so uncomfortable <laughs> and i think that the romance part of it would probably make him as or more uncomfortable than the graphic descriptions of physical love shall we say because i really just think that all of that you know angst and communication and will they or won't they oh my gosh i think that he would just be sweating the whole time in a bad way <laughs> Because it's just, it's it's not something that he would enjoy. <laughs> I think it's something that would make him very, very miserable to read. Because speaking as somebody who had lived a real life love story with him and continues to do so on a daily basis, that is just not the way that he communicates. That's not the way that he is wired. He is not, he likes everything to be sort of 
smooth and easy and he does not like to talk about it and really (laughs) what is a romance novel if not a lot of angst and talking about it it's true but it's also you know i think that romance is nice because it is kind of i mean like in the realm of what's hard romance is pretty easy you know (laughs) like as dramatized as it can be and it as angsty as you mentioned like it's really just like it's gonna be fine you know what i mean it's like low stress as far as things go. But yes, I understand. But I think that's exactly the point. For women, it's low stress because it's not something, it's something that does not, its inherent existence doesn't stress us out. It's a part of life. It's something enjoyable. And even when things are not ideal it's something about which that's how you bond with your girlfriends and you talk about it and that's how you grow and everyone has you know the way that they come to find out about themselves so much is through relationships and I think that's part of why they can be so fun and interesting to read you feel like you're getting a glimpse into fictional girlfriends experience and we've all talked about our own with so many of our own the people in our own lives and men don't do that they don't do that they don't enjoy it they've never done I don't think they've processed that way so for us maybe it's fun and easy because it's a part of what like the fabric of what makes us who we are as we walk through our lives but men don't men you know that's that's it's very difficult for them I think it would be much easier for them to digest something in a science fiction genre or even something that we would think would be much more complex or much more you know laborious to write or read not so I think that they find romance incredibly taxing Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's a really good point that is the right And this idea that like guys don't talk to each other about their relationships or their thoughts, feelings, or day to day, whatever. They don't talk about anything. (laughs) But like, um, and it's that's the interesting part of this too. I think um, oftentimes when I would ask my husband about a situation that would be happening in real life, something that you could possibly see maybe happening in a romance novel, his response to it is never. It's always sort of, I'll give you an example. So let's say we're talking about a girlfriend who she and her husband are having some challenges in their marriage. And a lot of them are, as usual, due to communication issues and things like that. And, you know, if she would tell me about them and I would share them with my husband and ask him what he thinks, his immediate response would be abject terror. You know, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be something where he would say, oh, tell me about that. I want to hear what she's thinking. But he's like, you know, how can we help? It was just sort of like, oh, no, oh, no, no. People are are having emotional problems and I really want absolutely nothing to do with that. Just stop talking. <laughs> and so, you know, given that response, you could sort of see why reading about it, you, even if we, the readers, know that it's likely to all turn out fine. The act of reading about it, the act of knowing about it is so stressful and so the opposite of what they would do for entertainment that I I think it does create a little bit of a barrier to the gender in general enjoying the genre. <laughs> a fair point, a fair point. And so so saying one of the themes of this podcast has that has been just kind of recurring and it's that one of these big differences is what men think love actually is. And what I mean like it seems from these podcasts that there's a common theme of guys separating love from romance and that love is much more a more serious thing and kind of a laborious and arduous thing that they have to go through and romance the way women see it is kind of fluffy and and inconsequential and I wondered if you had any thoughts about that and as as you've listened to these podcasts and within your experience reading romance and just you know being a person in the world who has to deal with these men (laughs) 
<laughs> Absolutely. And I think that, you know, I don't remember when it was several years to decades ago when that whole thing about the love languages became yes. so <laughs> common in the modern zeitgeist and talking about, you know, acts of service versus words of affirmation and physical touch and whatever. And it's sort of like woo woo is the whole thing is I kind of think that gets to the heart of the whole men are from Mars, women are from Venus, like that sort of like genre of thinking, because the longer I live, the more I realize that there are just fundamental differences and never the twain shall meet. So even <laughs> things that I think are so obvious, are so logical, are so normal, and would certainly seem that way to the vast majority of my female friends are downright incomprehensible to <laughs> even the men in my life who I love and cherish and choose, you know, from my husband to my dear friends to my brother, you know, all of these people that's around me. It is, there is a commonality there. Of course, there are shades of stupid, you know, but I would say that in general, if you would say... I don't know, pick a, pick a trope, pick a, like, it's your birthday or it's valid. It's, it's some event that you, that are important to you. How do your girlfriends respond to that thing that's probably important to you? And how do the men in your life, your loved ones respond to that event that they know is probably important to you? In my experience, wildly disparate, like, you know, in my experience, even if after many, 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 many years of marriage and even more years of being together and knowing me as well as they do and knowing, you know, what society expects of you and whatnot. It's just generally, and it, it's, it's not the way that certain people show their affection. And so I think that you are going to have your grand gesture men, but I will tell you that in my experience, the men in my life think that that is disingenuous and performative. And they do not believe that there is any Y chromosome alive who behaves that way because that is the way that they are motivated to behave in their heart. They behave that way for one reason and one reason only. They are putting on a show. It's all fake. It's smoke and mirrors. It is hogwash BS nonsense. And they sort of pride themselves on not leaning into what they believe is hogwash BS nonsense. And their version of what they believe love is is a lot quieter, like making you a cup of tea in a loud and unnecessary fashion because they think that's something you might like, which is great. You know, that's delightful. But I think yeah, that that's wonderful. really the difference. You know, it's it's not something that's necessarily page turning that you want to read about that's going to set your heart aflutter, but it's much more of a quiet, steady way that they, you know, when I ask my husband, <laughs> when I say like, oh, you know, it's so much different now than when we were now granted when we were dating was 20 plus years ago, but you know, like whatever. When I say things are so much different now, he's like, well, I make you a cup of coffee every morning. I make you a cup of tea every night. I, you know, planted all the flowers that you, I knew you would want in the front lawn, all of those things. And those, that to him is what should fill the pages of a romance novel. Nobody's buying that romance novel. That's not interesting. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that romance novel exists a lot. <laughs> I don't want to read it. I don't want to read something. Well, there are like a million of them. <laughs> 
send you a list. That is a bit, and that's what I'm trying to say to these men. Like it's not these big grandiose gestures most of the time. Normally it is in these books at this point, somebody doing those small thoughtful things every day. So, but yeah, you're definitely right. I think that's what they think it is. And I think that's part of what we're trying to do here is it's just not that. But there is this sense that the thing that keeps coming up is like the sacrifice, right? There has to be some sort of sacrifice or just like big obstacle before like a man will think that something is love, right? Like oh, people can fall in love with without it being difficult. Do you know what I mean? Like in these romance podcasts, this idea that keeps coming up is that guys, something has to be sacrificed for them to believe that they're really in love with somebody. I don't know if that's making sense, but that's what keeps kind of coming up and coming up and coming up. And it's just like, that's not, they can't like somehow wrap their head around the fact that sometimes love is just nice you know what I mean <laughs> it's, it's I think bizarre. that's interesting because again I haven't read anything from this genre in quite some time but my recollection of it is that it is much more of the dramatic you know I remember the books having heroes who were I don't like they always had something very dramatic about them you know whether they were I don't know, business moguls or extraordinarily wealthy or road motorcycle, you know, like there was something about them that was probably not just a dude, right? Like there was something about them that made them different than probably the majority of the people that you know in your life. And I don't, I mean, I get, I'm, it's so interesting to me that you're sharing that this really is something that's prevalent in the genre, this sort of like, not a grand gesture type of love story, but sort of like a quiet type of love story. Because I have to say, like, I I love my life very much, but I, I, I get it. Like, I'm not trying to read a book about it. You know, I think maybe <laughs> if my life were different, I would enjoy reading a book about it. But that's kind of what I do every day. Were I to read a book, and even, you know, if I'm to watch a movie or something like that, I kind of want something to take me out of that and put me, you know, like, experience something different, experience something that is more sort of fanciful or fantastical. And that in my mind is the picture of what all these books really are. Even in that one that I saw the movie, it's like they work in the same place and they, everything was very dramatic. You know, it was like pulling pranks on each other and jockeying for position in the corporate world. They're very much not a part of my daily life and what I assume to be most people's love stories daily life. So as dumb as it was, I was sort of like, oh, let's see how this all plays out. Um, whereas the kind of more quiet, although that does seem to be, you know, a more typical story, I wasn't aware that that was a, a, a thing, like a subgenre. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, to your other question of something has to be sacrificed, something has to be given up. Again, my recollection is that it usually is something because I feel like there, there was always some major difference. Like, you know, if he was a motorcycling person, she was sort of like a farm girl. And if he was a bazillionaire, she was like his assistant or, you know, there was something that 
their worlds were not going to connect. They were not going to meet. They were not going to be a logical pairing in the normal world. So one or the other or both of them had to make major changes to their lifestyle, to their worldview in order to make that relationship work. And, you know, well, you may be thinking in your head, if this were real, this would be absolute nonsense. It does kind of take, it's like the escapism. It's it's very much like your little mermaids and your beauty and the beasts only in a in a grown up way. But interesting to know that maybe that's not where the, the genre has gone. And there are sort of more normal love stories where nothing is sacrificed. Sure. I mean, well, like there are so many subgenres and different kinds of romance animals. So yes, there that does exist, of course, where like things are dramatic and like it's not anybody's life at all and like but yeah no there are tons of of cozy romance novels where it's just like they're in a small town and like they fall in love at the grocery store or whatever there's plenty of that (laughs) you know there's plenty of that but this idea right like like you said that something has to be sacrificed that's definitely a part of romance and yet still these guys just seem to it's just never serious enough for them right It's, it's it's just an interesting thing I mean we I don't know that there's any any other thing to mine for for meaning in this, but other than just it's just interesting to me that it's love for them is such a treacherous idea. One thing that I think would be interesting, if we look at all of the gentlemen that you've had on your show, how many of them are in healthy, committed relationships? Right. Would you say what proportion of them? I would say eighty percent of them are. Okay. So if that's the case, then that is very interesting because they're people who have then proven in their own lives that they know how to find a relationship that works for them. You know, they're in healthy, committed relationships with people. So it's not as if they're just people who don't get it, you know, right? They're just people who are flummoxed by the concept of love and haven't found a way or the right person um, to make it work. So it's it's an interesting disconnect then, because I would say if you were primarily having single men, you know, bachelors read these books, maybe that would bias the perspective a lot. That's an interesting point. I would love to meet some single men who like to read romance. (laughs) Anyway, all right. So, okay, another question here. Is there something that you'd like to know as you're listening to these podcasts? Is there something you think I should be asking that I'm not asking that you think I should ask? As a general question, no. I mean, I think that I we, we sort of go on a journey where we start talking about their experience with romance or lack thereof, introducing them to sort of the saucier side of the genre, talking about the book itself, what they liked, what they didn't like, what worked, how they felt about the characters. One thing that I, and again, I think that this is biased by my knowledge of them as people for the most part. I am always interested to know how they feel like this does or would translate into their own life. You know, did it make them think about their own relationships? Did it make them think about, you know, things a little bit differently as it translated to the real world? Because oftentimes I feel like that's one of the things that I enjoy most about the kind of crap that I like to watch on TV and things like that (laughs) is that I kind of, I always think about it, even if it's something so dumb, like right now I'm watching Love is Blind. They're all objectively 
horrible people. They're terrible. They're the worst. It's just <laughs> such an absolutely tragic glimpse into our future and into what we've become as a society. But it really takes me out of kind of my daily life. But I always think about it in perspective. You know, I always think about it in a referential way. It makes me think about my life and my relationships and my younger life, my dating history, things like that. And I do think it's always interesting to sort of turn that lens back, even even with something kind of fluffy and silly. So, you know, just from a curiosity perspective, let's take Preston, for example, because he was so salty about the book in general. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about the fact that he and his wife both work in the same industry. They were never sort of direct competitors, as I understand it. But, mm -hmm. you know, having working in in a similar, you know, working in entertainment and working in the same field as your spouse and reading this book, I would have, you know, I would think it would have been interesting to like sort of hear his perspective on, you know, did he feel like there was any part of that that resonated with him in his life? Could he see himself taking any of the sort of like lessons or the behaviors or the realizations that they came to and adapting the way that he behaves with his partner? Yeah, I don't know that that's a question you could ask, but I do think that it's something that I always wondered, like, did, did any part of this really resonate with you as a person? Person, and is there anything that you learned from this that would sort of inform your romantic decision making moving forward? Yeah, I have tried to delve into like, especially to figure out, do the male characters resonate with any of these guys, like in particular? So like, when they're reading from a dude's perspective, as this man like kind of moves through this relationship, right, in the ups and downs that come with romance, if they feel like at any point that it would repeat those actions or they understood them and they always seem to right and yet even though they recognize that yes this man seems this character seems understandable and relatable they're like somehow they're still somehow like a disconnect right and then so that's interesting and then the second part that you mentioned is have they learned anything about romance and would they apply that to their own lives i have started asking that and the answer has so far been no <laughs> because, they, because they don't believe it. They're very hesitant and unwilling to accept that. And certainly it's not a blueprint on how to romance a woman. That's not what we're saying. But some of these concepts in these books and the things that these characters do for each other are the nice things I think people would like their partner to, to do for them. So it's interesting to me that they just can't accept that it, that can be real. A hundred percent. And that doesn't surprise me at all. You know, kind of like we were talking about, I think if you had any of these things and you were talking with a girlfriend, I think it would be just common knowledge that that would be a nice, kind, sweet, thoughtful, whatever you want to call it thing to do. But then from the perspective of from my husband specifically, he's like, that is such a bunch of crap. That is so fake. It is so profound. I'm like, no, it's, I mean, by definition, it's not, right? Because I'm telling you that that's something that I think would be nice. And it's like, I disagree. It's silly. 
Right, because they're the element of them being embarrassed or humiliated is there, right? Like I think that's what maybe a part of what they're shying away from. Like there's there's a risk here for me to look like an idiot. So like it, it not it, there's no way that it can be fruitful, right? Like the risk outweighs the reward of making their partner happy because they might there's a possibility that they could be humiliated, right? I think, I think that's a really interesting perspective, and I'm I bet you anything that that is a big part for some. Now I'll tell you from my husband, he doesn't actually care if he is, is that he just thinks he really, really just reacts very negatively to anything that he feels is sort of fake or put on or performative. You know, he just doesn't, anything that he feels could go under the category of a gesture, especially a grand gesture. He's like, it's not a thing, you know, like it's just his, his firm belief is that it's not a thing. No, I think we all know that it is a thing. It's a thing. It's nice, you know, like these gestures are sort of a, it's not a performance. It's a way of showing that you understand things that your partner would like. And even though they may not be supernatural to you, going out of your way to do those things, which I think is part of the reason why these books are so popular with women and not with men, because we really enjoy reading that in the fictional world, there may be men who understand that. But in the real world, they don't. And they don't want to hear about it because they don't want their shortcomings pointed out to them in literary form. (laughs) Which is so strange. (laughs) I would say that at least in my perspective, that's extremely true. Because um, when I met and fell in love with and married my husband, I knew I was under absolutely no illusion that he was not a grand gesture kind of guy you know he's he is not one for a lot of words and he is certainly not somebody who would ever choose drama or romance as a genre for anything his favorite thing to watch are ken burns documentaries and that tells you just about all you need to know and so you know, and I don't necessarily consider myself an exceptionally fanciful person. So it's not like that was problematic per se, but I think as like a human woman, there are certain (laughs) things that you can just acknowledge are just nice. And so I do, you know, I think, again, then in the things that I like to love is blind, for example, love is blind. Those worthless cheese balls are all about the jet. I mean, like that's the whole show, right? And you watch that and you think maybe he's right. Maybe it's all performative and fake. Well, I think that's interesting because I'm not an especially a fanciful person either. And when people fi- find out that I write romance, they're like, you seem like you're an anti-romance person. I'm like, yeah, because I know it does not exist in the real world. So we've had to come to these books to experience any sort of fanciful acknowledgement that romance exists in this world. So that's an interesting point. <laughs> All right. So I have one final question, but before I ask it, do you have any any other thoughts or questions that you'd like to ask? I do have a question, actually. Are there men who write romance? There must be because your beginning scenes are usually one written by a man and one written by a woman. Are there men who write sort of contemporary romance? And if so, what proportion of romance writers do they comprise? There's not, maybe a couple. And the the one that people always point to is Nicholas Sparks, but he is not a romance writer. I mean, because his 
novels don't end happily for the most part and they're sad so he doesn't really count but that's who people would point to as the most recognizable name but other than him there might be a couple and I think there are a couple of wife husband duos but that write together under a woman's name so not many I would say less than 10 male romance less than 10 okay and the, the passages I read that are male written sex scenes are from uh, literary fiction novels. They're not from romance. Oh, interesting. <laughs> All right. Last, last question before we move on to what I cut. Now you and Mr. Deb, and you can thank me for this question later, <laughs> but you know, you and Mr. Devereaux have a yearly race to see who can send their holiday cards out quicker. Would you like to state here for the record who has won that race for at least the last two years? Uh, me. I have won everything. He has never, ever beat me. Now, I will say that two years ago, not this past year, the year before, he cheated in just the most ridiculously flagrant fashion. It was just, I mean, I don't know who he thought that he was fooling. For one thing, at the time, he was employed by the United States Postal Service. And that year, he interfered with the delivery of my stamps and his card arrived to me with no postmark and he claims that he didn't physically drive it to my house and put it in my mailbox everybody else received their cards at the same time his and mine with a postmark mine arrived with no postmark mysteriously one day sooner when my stamps went missing excuse you um but the truth of the matter is that he has never won never What a statement. (laughs) Wow. Mr. Devereaux has never won. You heard it? Never. Never. It's (laughs) never even been close. (laughs) Even when he worked for the United States Post Office. Even when he worked for the United States Post Office. Postal Service, I guess. Sorry, that's my bad. Okay. All right. Sounds great. So that's it for the questions. That was wonderful. Thank you. So some things I cut. I didn't really cut a lot from the podcast. Mostly it was dogs barking. Mr. Devereaux and Todd Franklin have a doodle. Is that what it is? And she was getting restless. So the second thing I cut out was I said something dumb about how in uh, a lot of gay relationships, one person is always worried about being more flamboyant. And I thought, I think I said that that was like a new thing when in reality, that's definitely been a trope of gay relationships since the 90s. So I cut that out, which was pointless because I'm just talking about it here. So whatever. But and then I cut out there was some (laughs) there was a child character in the book who was not amazing and so I cut out quite a bit more of us complaining about this child character because it felt maybe like we were being a little bit too hard on this kid (laughs) so I was like let me just take this out so we don't sound like monsters I mean, sure. <laughs> it was a very, it, it was a, it was a lot. Sometimes kids in novels are cute. And sometimes they're not. That's just how romance novels work. Anyway. All right. So that's all for what I cut. Rachel, 
Any other thoughts or questions before we wrap up? I have to say, I am so delighted that you are taking the time and putting forth the tremendous effort to do this. I think it's just really lovely on so many levels. It's great to hear about these books. It's wonderful to hear what's been happening in the genre in my several decades lapse um, in reading this style of literature. It's nice to hear from all of these familiar blasts from the past discussing these books. And it has just been in a world gone mad. It has just been such a lovely bright spot. So I am so delighted to be even a small part of it. And I look forward to listening to whoever comes next. And thank you very much. Yes, that's awesome. And yes, thanks again to Mr. Devereaux and Todd Franklin, who were such champs reading this book and reading it together. I hope it was a fun exercise for the two of them. Um, I kind of wondered if they were reading it like at the same time and chit chatting about the chapters. I should have asked that after like if they had story time where they were reading it too. I, I doubt it, but maybe. And so thanks again to them for such thoughtful and insightful things that they had to say about the book and the same goes for you Rachel too I really appreciate it it's so lovely to have you on thank you so much for taking the time and having such intelligent and well said things to share I really appreciated it and I'm so glad that you had I hope that you had fun and thanks again for doing it I hope you'll come back maybe we'll get Preston on here and you can tell him how mean he is <laughs> that would- I do think that we that as you know, as I think, I think it would be fun to do a podcast book club where you have like a guy and a girl or two guys and two girls read the same book. And we could discuss a fun little point counterpoint. I think that that would that would be a delight. I would be all over it. It's definitely something I have to think about because people, you know, I'm going to exhaust my pool of of willing dudes. And, you know, I send them like (laughs) beer and stuff, but that's only going to go so far. I think this would have to be a rerun situation where we would take, you know, a Preston who was on the saltier side and a Richard who was on the more thoughtful side and maybe two females of your choosing and have them read the same book, maybe something that is kind of quite popular, as you were mentioning, some of these books are, and and have sort of a real time discussion of our feelings about the characters, their behavior and, and things like that. I think that that would be... That would be really good fun. That would be just fascinating. As always, Rachel, and another excellent idea. (laughs) (laughs) Keep them coming. (laughs) Rachel, thank you again so much. It's been fantastic. And now there's only one thing left to do. Tell me that you love romance. I love romance.